Welcome, everybody, to Beer Rock Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Hey, everyone, let's get some round of applause going, eh? Clap hands. Yeah. Thank you guys for being here. Beer Rock, 2911 North Sherman Avenue, here on the north side of Madison by Warner Park. I am Jake Kokorowski from Bucky's Fifth Quarter, talking some Wisconsin Badgers tonight. This is the primer. This is your Wisconsin Sports Tuesday coming up at 8 o'clock, Railbird Central. Of course, Cheesehead TV. We got the, it's like the mega powers for those that like rest, pro wrestling back in the day. Uh, we got two great podcasts coming to you live from Beer Rock on Tuesday night. And again, I'm Jake Kokorowski, and we have a special guest. This is the first guest for Bucky's Fifth Podcast live here at Beer Rock from the Wisconsin State Journal, Madison.com, Jason Galloway. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, Jake. You really know how to work a crowd. Yeah, I'm trying, you know, the pro wrestling background, I trained for pro wrestling for a couple of years, wasn't good, I was terrible, uh, but we, uh, we are here, this is a great setup again, make sure you guys check out Beer Rock, some great food going on here, I know you and I are both excited after the show to take part in some beer and some Beer Rock, uh, and just the delicious meat pastries, and then also uh, the caramel apple is, I, I will tout that Beer Rock to the day I die, it's a top five dessert for me, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I have no idea what a beer rock is, so it's going to be interesting to, to taste one. Exactly. So uh, we are here. We got, we got tons of stuff going on coming up tonight. We got interviews that we took, uh, that we had earlier today with Tyler Biotish, the center for Wisconsin Badgers, talking about what happened on uh, Saturday night. We have, I have Logan uh, Bruss. I talked to him talking about his roles on the team. And we'll also obviously preview Iowa We'll talk, get some Q&A in from social media. If you guys have any questions, feel free to come up and uh, ask or raise your hand. And feel free to let us know if you have any questions for Wisconsin Badgers. And, yeah, let's start off, though, Jason, right? Uh, bad loss, Saturday night, 24-21 to the BYU Cougars. First non-conference loss on, at home since, what, 2003? Yeah. Just what are your kind of takeaways from the game? Well, it was a really uncharacteristic defensive game for Wisconsin. And, you know, just going back and looking at the game, it, you know, obviously they, they had some issues defending that jet sweep of BYU. And it seemed like there were a few times where they, they were a little, the linebackers were a little inconsistent defending that. And, you know, there's a couple of times Ryan Conley was out of position on one of the long runs. TJ Edwards looked like he overran a gap. And uh, it seemed like the mistakes weren't just from the young guys. You know, it was, it was pretty surprising to kind of see Wisconsin go out there and and put that performance up defensively. You know, they BYU, you know, I, I think it was 6.82 yards per carry, and the, the last time that happened was 2014, the Big Ten Championship game, that, that 59 nothing disaster to Ohio State. So they, they did not defend the run well, and that's not something you normally see from this Wisconsin defense. And after those first two games, we thought this defense would, you know, would, would be a little bit – it was two pretty good performances for the defense against Western Kentucky and New Mexico, but – Obviously, it's still Western Kentucky and New Mexico. You know, this team is now getting into this part of its schedule where it's playing real opponents, and it's going to be interesting to see how this defense responds after, you know, the type of game they put up against BYU here. I know, and the stats are really kind of misleading, right? Like, total yardage, 311 yards. That's not bad for a defense to give up. Now, you know, you saw, obviously, maybe last year, 66 yards given up to Iowa, who they faced this week. Uh, they gave up 305 to Western Kentucky in a pretty decent performance, so only six more yards than what they gave up against the Hilltoppers two weeks back. However, you, know, you mentioned it, you know, like just the big plays, 
two 40-yard-plus runs from Squally Canada, who came in only having 137 yards, averaging less than four a carry, comes in and rushes for over 100 yards, 10.7 yards per carry, two touchdowns. Uh, and that, that motion play that BYU utilized was really something that I, you know, I looked at it and you know, I, I asked some of the guys like how before, during the week, about how the motion works. And, and I remember Andrew Van Ginkle saying it just helps, you know, it's window dressing in the eyes. Well, you know, also like they had six chunk plays of 15 or more or 10 or more rushing yards, and four of those were off of a kind of a motion type sweep yeah. too. So, uh, uncharacteristic from a Jim Leonard type defense from a Wisconsin defense since it's transitioned to the 3 4 back in 2013. Uh, but offensively, what did you see, uh, you know, uh, from Alex Hornibrook, Jonathan Taylor, and those Wisconsin Badgers where, you know, they're 394 yards, almost 400 yards. You had a 100 yard rusher in Jonathan Taylor. Alex Hornibrook completed, you know, 18 of 28 passes, but there are some key mistakes, interceptions, bad penalties especially on that fourth and one in the third quarter. What are some of your thoughts about just an inconsistent performance all around? Yeah, it seemed like the running game wasn't as consistent as they would like it to be. I think Xander Neville going out after the second play of the game really hurt them, and he's questionable to play this week against Iowa, and I think against a team like Iowa, they're really going to need him back. We might talk about that later, but, but I think against, against BYU, I, I think there were a lot of plays where – running plays that were blown up because the tight end missed a block. You know, I mean, I think Kyle Pennison's gotten better in that area, but it's still not his strong suit. Jake Ferguson is still a work in progress in, in, in the run game. And Luke Benshaw, sort of your number two blocking tight end, being out as well, really left him shorthanded in that area. And I, while the offensive line didn't really play its best game either, I, I think that losing Neville really kind of hurt their ability to to run the ball consistently. And, you know, when you're, when you're in the middle of a drive and, and you have one play that gets blown up, because someone misses a block uh, and it goes for a loss of one, then that, that can really kill your drive. You know, if you're in second 11, um, suddenly you have to pass the ball. Uh, suddenly you're a little limited offensively and, 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 it, and, and your drive can stall just because of, the, uh, you know, one running play that doesn't go the right way. And I think when you look at Wisconsin, the, you know, the sample size isn't real big. Joe Rudolph talked about it today. There's, I mean, they only had 10 drives in this game. You know, he, he talked about how they averaged 2.1 points per, per drive, and that was a little low, but... But I think when you look at kind of uh, the big picture, they, they, they just had a few drives where some, some running plays were blown up. And then the Hornybrook interception as well really killed them. That, you know, that gave BYU the chance to, to take the lead in the third quarter. And, I, you know, it, it, kind of looking big picture here, when, when we go back to the defensive big plays they gave up, if you, I mean, really, it, the two running plays of 40-plus yards, the trick play that went for a touchdown, and then Hornybrook's interception, those four plays set up all 24 BYU's points. And uh, that's, I mean, sometimes the, the margin for error is small. And um, when, when you get in a game like this, you can't make that many mistakes. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's interesting, too, where you know, we'll, we'll play an interview with Logan Bruss later. I didn't get a chance to talk to him about this, uh, about that particular play, but him being used as like a jumbo-type tight end coming in and being like that a pseudo Neville. Uh, a little bit bigger, obviously, but using those kind of bigger packages around the goal line, like Taiwan deal with his two touchdowns. Uh, I believe one of them at least was around there too, so uh, was, was being utilized, uh, Bruss was. But um, I, I guess special teams-wise, just to kind of cap off the takeaways, yeah, the Rafael Gaglianoni missed the 42-yarder to tie the game late, in the, late but, you know, it, he's been solid, obviously, you know, for the for as long as he's been here in Madison at Wisconsin. 
But there are those, I mean, punting-wise, Anthony Lottie had a 63-yard career high. I think he did a decent job there. Uh, punt returns, though, uh, you know, the last drive, I mean, talking about, like, the margin for error, letting the punt drop down into, to, you know, inside the 10-yard line with four minutes left, just over four minutes left. Really, I mean, you still haven't seen much out of the, the return games either. Yeah, I think with the return game, you know, I think Wisconsin's had some issues with that for a few years now. Um, maybe having the opportunity to run up and catch a catch a short punt and just not being able to do it. And again, you, you do want to be safe in those situations. You know, if, if Jack Dunn tries to run up on that, or you know, on that punt with four minutes to go and and bobbles it and loses the ball, then you know, obviously the game's over at that point. You don't want that to happen. But th- then again, you know, he lets it go. It bounces inside the ten and. They've got to go 90-something yards to get a, to win the game and or at least a little bit longer to get a field goal and tie the game. Um, so obviously they need to work on that. I, I think Aaron Cruikshank is still yet to break out as a kickoff returner. It's, he, he, every time he gets the ball, you, you kind of get excited because he's, he's a really fast guy. He looks like he could break one at any point, but most of the time when he's returned a, a kickoff so far, he hasn't even gotten to the 25. So um, I think the return game, there, there is still a lot left to be desired. And as far as Gaglianone goes, I mean – I, you know, after every game, I ask for, for Badgers fans, um, you know, reactions on Twitter for something we do for, for Madison.com. And, you know, not, not much usually surprises me on that. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you get all kinds of crazy responses, but these are the fans on Twitter. But, I, you know, there were a few going after Gaglione after that oh. missed kick and um, saying, you know, s- saying some bad things about him yeah. and saying that, you know, he's, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to get into yeah. specifics, but. I mean, you look at Gaglione, he's been, I mean, he's, like I said on Twitter, he's been money for almost three solid years now, and he's has the school record for game-winning kicks with four in his career. So, you know, you can't, you can't make them all, and, you know, obviously you expect him to make that, you know, 42 yards as well within his range, and you expect him to make that kick, and it was pretty far off if you watch yes. the replay, but, um, again, you definitely can't blame him for the loss. There's so much that, that went into getting them in that position uh, down three points in the final minute, and I, I think... I think Aglanone is one of the, you know, one of the guys you can least blame here because so much other things went on. But from a special teams perspective, I, I definitely think there's there's room to grow in the return game for sure. And I, like him, Lottie's had a great season. I think yeah. I think he's really taken a step up, and um, it's it's going to be interesting to see if he can keep that up because that that could be a big big weapon for them if he's able to flip the field like he did with that 63-yard punt. Absolutely, absolutely. I think yeah, the junior punter's taken a, a big leap and. He's looked solid, too. I think even end of last year, I thought he stepped up, too. So um, on that note, let's get to one of our first interviews, uh, talking about you'll hear from Tyler Biotish, the Wisconsin redshirt sophomore center, just talking about the loss, the vibe during practice, rivalry week, and, and other topics. Uh, we had a chance to talk with him, uh, with a bunch of reporters and him. So uh, let's get to him real quick here on Bucky's fifth podcast. You know, Iowa came here uh, for the game last year. Are you excited to have a chance to go out and kind of see what uh, Kinnick Stadium's about? Have any of the other guys talked about their previous experiences going out on the road to Iowa City? Yeah, I mean, I've been there my freshman year. Uh, I traveled with the group, too. Oh, sure. And, and um, I that week I had a chance to play. So I think I've been prepping for the game for, like, the past two years and so played in one. So I think um, we've uh, we've been there before. Um, obviously, it's going to be an even bigger atmosphere this, this time with a, a night game coming up. Uh, it'll be a solo crowd and everything, but I think, you know, we're, we're going to do what we do, and we're going to play Wisconsin football, and we're going to we're going to do a better job than last week. 
I mean, looking at, not to dwell too much on last week, but looking back on film, what did you guys see uh, from your perspective on the, for the offensive line and maybe the offense as a whole as to things not clicking, penalties, uh, you know, offense? What did you see on film that, you know, about the performance on Instagram last Saturday? Um, like you said, like, I mean, I mean, we just got um, stuck in some situations where we just couldn't, we couldn't get over that hump um, sometimes. But, um, I mean, it's, uh, it's football, and, uh, you know, that happens when you get behind the chains or you get a penalty, get set back, but uh, every false start or whatever. But, you know, I, I think that's just us being – we have to even prep even more, being locked in um, mentally and physically. I mean, uh, BYU is a physical team, and I was going to be even more physical. So I think uh, being locked in and being prepped and ready to go uh, – you know, having an edge on us. Jumps out about the team. Um, they haven't allowed a lot of yards per game, really, in the first three games. But um, obviously, there's different teams that they've been playing. But um, they're still, uh, still a good group on defense. And uh, you know, we're gonna have to take it to them. Um, you know, it's, it, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's simple talking about it. But it, it goes to prep. It goes through a lot. You know, obviously, prepping everything. Um, but we'll have a good game plan for him, and we'll uh, we'll attack it. Anything in particular that really in terms of, is there a player or two that really stands out? I know the defensive line I think has ten of the team's twelve sacks. And what stands out to you? Is there a player in particular? Sure, they, they got they got some good guys on the edge. Uh, they got some good edge edge pass rushers, and uh, they have they do a pretty good job of uh, uh, containing the run. Um, and they want to make you pass, but um, I mean obviously that's any any defensive goal um, making you making you one dimensional. But I think. You know, for us getting getting out there and attacking that group, uh, we got to play physical and play smart and uh, be mentally locked in the game throughout the whole game. You know, like not taking plays off at all and really locking in. And then, do you think the pass rush kind of really sticks out on film so far? Because obviously, they're second behind Penn State with twelve sacks heading in, and then Spencer has four sacks. Is that kind of like something like fo- focusing on heading in, like really protecting Alex and? Um, I mean, I think we have pretty good guys, too. Um, I think we match up well with them. I think, uh, you know, yeah, like I said, they're they doing a pretty good job pass rushing. Uh, but I think, you know, we're prepping, too, and we got, we got some pretty damn good players, too. So I think uh, we'll, be, we'll be good matched up with them, and we'll go out and play our game. I was say I apologize for re-asking some questions, but what do you think the offense as a whole needs to be clicking on all cylinders right now? I think we just need to be mentally locked in and, come out with an edge and uh, play like how we can play um, and not holding back and truly letting go and playing fast and physical and smart. How much is the, did you see in practice today getting back on, on the field? It's rivalry week again against Iowa, also coming off the loss. Was there a amount of energy today? Uh, is, is it was to be, and if so, was it due to the, you know, facing the Hawkeyes in a rivalry type game or was it also this combination maybe coming off the loss too? And I think, um, you know, Coming off that loss, like it truly stinks, um, hurts in a lot of ways. But I think you got to you got to get past it. You got to move forward. Uh, I think our coaches did a good job yesterday of like just telling us like it happened and we got to learn from it, obviously. And I think we did. And I think uh, I think today we did a, a lot better job of uh, being mentally locked in and having it be a physical day, both sides off the ball, defensively and offensively. Even special teams, you could hear the hitting. So I think. Uh, you know, doing a lot better job of mentally locked in and playing smarter and, and slowing it down if it needs to and making the right calls and, and, and the adjustments and everything. I think, you know, we just got got to play our game, like I said. How did, how did Logan Bruce look to you out on the, you know, out there in that third quarter series and 
how did that kind of line as a whole look as well? I thought the line did pretty good. Like I said, like being locked in, like that false start doesn't happen. I, I take my chances on fourth and one, too. So I think they moved They moved the ball like 45 yards. So I'm, I did, I'm, it's hats off to them. You know, our second group, I think they do a hell of a job in practice and a hell of a job in the games when they're in. So I think they're really good guys. I think we have a really good group. Like a, like a lot of people say, we have a lot of good depth and everything. So I think they did a, a heck of a job driving the ball. It's just, like I said, mentally locked in and having an edge on you and, you know, knowing the count and everything. So... And that was Tyler Biotish, again, Wisconsin Center, talking just about performance against BYU, looking ahead to Iowa. And let's, let's do that, Jason. And we're here with Jason Galloway, Wisconsin State Journal. Uh, and make sure you guys follow him on social media, as always. Make sure it's Jason, J-A-S-O-N underscore Galloway from Wisconsin State Journal, Madison.com. And you just also making sure publishing your podcast you have, The Red Zone, you had me on a couple weeks ago. Appreciate that, and uh, you know, I guess looking ahead to Iowa, they're three and zero, coming off a 38-14 win over FCS opponent Northern Iowa. Uh, you know, you already talked about let's, let's let's start key injuries with Wisconsin, right? You already mentioned Xander Neville is questionable. Uh, the other big name at a position that doesn't have a lot of depth or maybe proven talent outside of two players uh, is Andrew Van Ginkle at outside linebacker. Uh, looking at Van Ginkle, you already, you already talked about tight ends, but really with Van Ginkle, what are your, you know, you see Zach Bond, who stepped up and, like, you know, has had quite a few tackles in his first three games and coming back from that foot injury from last season. But how much of an impact is it if Van Ginkle can't go against the Hawkeyes on Saturday night? I think it's a really big impact. If you look at that BYU game, you know, that they really could have used his pass rushing ability in that game on a, in a few few occasions. And um, obviously, to lose your your most proven guy at, at that position is is really difficult. Now, I do think if Tyler Johnson can play more more snaps this week, that that would really help. You know, I, I think you know last week Tyler Johnson was questionable going into the game, and he only played five snaps. And it seemed like they wanted when Van Ginkle went out, they wanted to try to give him a go, even though he wasn't a hundred percent. And then it just didn't work out, and they had to pay, play Christian Bell. I think forty snaps um, after Van Ginkle went out, and and uh, Noah Burks got a little bit of time too. Uh, you know, he, he he got kind of flushed out of his position. Uh, the first play after Van Ginkle was out, and that, that was the first uh, long touch or long run they had, uh, long 40-plus yard run. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how these guys respond. If it, I think if Johnson can give them a little bit more, and you don't have to play Christian Bell or, or Noah Burks as much, then that's 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 a positive. Now I, I do think I do think Christian Bell did did fine in the game. I don't think there was anything wrong with 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 what he did, but. Um, I, I think if you're without Van Ginkle, uh, I think you want as many guys as you can. And, and Johnson is a little bit more proven than Bell is. And now, I, I think Van Ginkle is is really clearly the number one guy at the position right now. And if you can get him back for uh, a game like this, a, a game that's of such importance, you know, obviously they need to win this game probably to to have. I mean, they really got a long hill to climb to win the West if they don't win this game. So. Um, they need they need all hands on deck here, and, if, and I think they really need Van Ginkle and Neville, like I mentioned earlier. But, um, but we'll have to see if they actually play. Absolutely, I think Van Ginkle is one of the more underrated play. I mean, just overall in the nation, I think he emerged. We saw last year the pick six in the Big Ten championship game. He followed that up in the Orange Bowl with a key interception that really was a spark for Wisconsin coming back from that 14-3 deficit uh, on December 30th. But, it, you know, I think he's one of the 
the biggest playmakers on the defense. They don't have them at the, the substantial loss. And like I said, you have to see guys like Tyler Johnson, who had a strip sack against Illinois last year. But, you know, with that injury, we'll see. I mean, he's off the injury report now. Uh, and we'll see how, he, you know, how the, that position group grows uh, heading into Iowa. And let's talk real quick about the Iowa defense, right? Uh, I'll just read through an impressive list of what they've done through three games. Now, granted, it's against particular competition. They did beat Iowa State a couple weeks back uh, in the Cyhawks series, which is always a very popular rivalry down in Iowa uh, by 13-3, to which is a very much a... I was watching some of the highlights. a very fast game based off a lot of the, the drives going pretty, pretty <laughs> long. Uh, but looking at this, you know, the defense for Iowa, eight points per game. That's second in the Big Ten. They have 12 sacks, second in the Big Ten, 10 of 12 coming from the defensive line. Uh, A.J. Epinesa is, is a big name, four sacks, uh, alone number, and he's number 94. He'll be someone to watch. Uh, on top of that, linebackers, uh, they've started, like, looking at the Iowa game notes, they've started three different combinations of linebacker. You lose Josie Jewell to the NFL, uh, but, they, you know, Nick Neiman's the one that started all three games. Uh, and then the secondary, you have two interceptions on the year from that. Both are from the secondary guys, but they lost jo- Josh Jackson, who Brian Caribou, who's just uh, about 30 feet away, will probably talk about the touchdown Josh Jackson had <laughs> for the Packers uh, on Railbird Central coming up in just a couple of minutes for those that are live here at Beer Rock, 2911 North Sherman Avenue. Quick plug. And uh, But, you know, Jason, in your opinion, what are the key matchups for Wisconsin against, you know, offensively going up against the Iowa defense? I definitely think it's it's the battle up front with the offensive line. Wisconsin's offensive line versus, versus uh, the defensive line. And I'll include tight ends in that, too, like I mentioned earlier. with ne- If Neville can't play, that could be a really big deal. You mentioned that um, – you know, you mentioned that I think 10 of their 12 sacks have come from a defensive lineman, right? That, is that yeah. the number? Yep. So, I mean, I, I think that it's going to be really key for, for Wisconsin's offensive line to make sure they protect Hornybrook, which they've done a pretty good job in protection this year, but they have had, you know, a few breakdowns here and there. They've had a couple um, mistakes from running backs and pass protection in the first couple games. So I, I think protecting Hornybrook from this from um, from some of those guys and then just, just being able to run the ball more consistently than they did and they did last week. Um, you know, with, with, with if Neville's out, those tight ends have got to step up. Pennison and Ferguson have got to step up and, and give them a little bit more consistency in the running game so that they can they can get that running game going and not have to get in second or third down and long. Um, now, this this Iowa defense is, um, you know, they, they've played really well through three games, obviously. But you look at the quality of the competition, their, their best game is against Iowa State, uh, which they held to three points, but they've also faced – Northern Iowa, and I think they had another poor opponent in week one. Northern Illinois, yeah. Northern Illinois. Um, so I, you still don't – it's hard to tell exactly how good this Iowa team is and this Iowa defense. They lost a lot of talent defensively, like you mentioned, with Josie Jewell and, and Josh Jackson. It seems like they've really filled the, those holes nicely and kind of plugged new guys in and, and didn't miss a beat. But I think this is going to be a, new, a, a different type of challenge for them against Wisconsin's offense. And as much as – I'm sure Wisconsin fans will, will, will be yelling, uh, Wisconsin's <laughs> offense stinks, you know. I mean, they, but, you know, I – Obviously, Wisconsin's offense didn't, didn't look good last week, and they, they certainly haven't lived up there to, to, to their potential this season. But, you know, the, it's going to be the toughest test this Iowa defense has faced, and it's going to be interesting to see if some of those new guys on, on their defense can, can step up and continue to play well. Yeah, I'm also wondering once they'll open up the passing game more. Danny Davis will be in his second game back. Joe Rudolph alluded to it during the when he was talking to us earlier today uh, when he had availability just talking about just he looked like a player that was going through his first game of the season. 
Uh, we'll see what they do if they open it up further with uh, like an 11 personnel with AJ Taylor, Kendrick Pryor, and, and then Davis. I was really, you know, about the game, just going back to the BYU, I'm surprised they didn't use Kendrick Pryor more. Like maybe on more of those, you know, he had a big sure. jet sweep, fly sweep. Uh, but seeing his, he's shown he's going to be a playmaker. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do get, you know, against Iowa and how they open up the offense a little bit more. Looking to, on the other side, though, uh, the offense for Iowa, you see it. It's a Wisconsin-led backfield, right? Nate Stanley from Menominee, who Paul Christ, you've heard it by reports in the past, tried to recruit Nate Stanley to Wisconsin after he became Wisconsin head coach, kept with his commitment to Iowa. Uh, hashtag thanks, Gary Anderson. And then you had uh, also from Madison, from Monona Grove, right? Torin Young, who leads the team in rushing, 234 yards, just about 75 to 80 yards per game, two touchdowns there. Stanley's got 63.3% completion percentage, only three touchdowns this year to two interceptions. Uh, and then they also, like, Ivory Key, Mark, Kelly Martin is their other running back, but uh, he's missed two games due to injury so far. We'll see if they get back. But the big names in the passing game, uh, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, both tight ends, almost like a mirror image to Wisconsin, and I'll be asking that tomorrow uh, with, you know, when I talk to Ryan Conley, just asking him about the mirror images between the, the similarities and differences between Wisconsin and Iowa and just their the kind of a more of a pro-style look. Uh, but both tight ends lead the team, tied for the team lead with 12 receptions. From your opinion, what, you know, from your earlier analysis, what, what does Wisconsin need to do against Iowa defensively? Yeah, well, it's a little boring, but I'm going to go back to the to the battle up front again. <laughs> uh, you know, I, Wisconsin's defensive line did, didn't hold up that well against, against BYU. I didn't thought, and you know, I think I think this, that BYU offensive line's probably got more talent on it than, than a lot of people realize. I think that was the strength of their offense, really, and, and that they showed it in that Wisconsin game. And there's obviously still a lot of inexperience on the defensive line for Wisconsin. Caden Lyles has been thrown into the fire, you know, after the position switch these first few games, and. I think he's held his own, but he also has had a couple moments where he, um, you know, maybe he's been a little, you know, been a little bullied a little bit and got 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 uh, hit off the ball. So um, I, I think that, you know, I, so I just think that they have to win that battle up front. It's going to be a difficult challenge, but if they're able to do that, it's going to make it so much easier for for their linebackers to make plays, obviously. And uh, you know, I, I think whether Van Ginkle's back or not, if those defensive linemen are are doing their job, it's also a little bit easier to. Uh, for those guys, other guys to rush the passer as well, so I, I think I think that battle up front is going to be, you know, key when uh, uh, when Wisconsin's on defense as well. Yeah, um, obviously everything does start start up front, like you mentioned too. I mean, if Wisconsin if Wisconsin can't contain Iowa's running game, that's going to spell disaster with play action down the road too. I mean, my key takeaway, my key matchup really is going to be what Wisconsin, who they have up against the likes of. Uh, Noah Font, you know, Noah Fant and, and TJ Hawkinson for the tight ends. Like, how did I mean last week? But BYU came in, and I, th I thought that was going to be interesting to see. You know, Moroni, uh, Lalulu, uh, Patutau, and then Matt Bushman. You know, besides that 31-yard touchdown pass to uh, uh, to one of the tight ends, really, it, you know, they're kind of silent. So I'm wondering, wondering if Wisconsin, you know, if they can hold the running game, who will be on Noah Fant? And, and Hawkinson, and you know, how do they, how are they going to game plan, and how effective will will Fant be? Because you know, he's going to be, he's an All-American type player, and obviously going to be probably NFL bound after this season. So, uh, that's my key, 
my key takeaway, my key matchup there. Um, interesting with Iowa, too, I saw they're only 4-7 or seven on field goal attempts this year uh, as well, so that'll be interesting to see how special teams comes in. Obviously, a night game environment, 7.30 p.m., folks, Fox, it's a national broadcast. We'll see if the Wisconsin Badgers can really take, you know, can, can claw back, and we'll give our game predictions at the end of this show, too. So uh, without further ado, let's get to Logan Bruss. Uh, I talked to him about his emergent role. If you guys remember, in the third quarter, it was him and Jason Erdman and Micah Kapoy going on the right side of that that offensive line for Wisconsin in that one series that ended uh, on a turnover of downs after a false start by Kyle Penniston. But they were driving the ball. I was impressed by what they did uh, in moving the ball down. Uh, and But the false start by Penniston kind of squashed and squandered any opportunity from there, making a fourth and one and a fourth into a fourth and six. But uh, here's Logan Bruss just talking about um, just his progression, what he's worked on, and what's going ahead uh, further for him and what his goals are for the season. So here is the redshirt freshman from Kimberly, Wisconsin, here on Bucky's fifth podcast. We are here with Logan Bruss. And, and Logan, after after a, a tough loss like that against BYU, how are you guys, how's the demeanor of the team been, uh, you know, in the past couple days? Uh, the demeanor has been surprisingly well. Uh, obviously, it hurts to lose, but guys have a positive mindset about it. And everybody came out today excited to work. Uh, we know we have a lot of things to clean up, and everybody's excited to get after it today. Now, in that, in that third quarter, we saw you last, you know, on Saturday against BYU, get in there at right tackle. How did it feel to get in there, uh, you know, with you know, going against BYU, and and how do you think you you performed, you know, last Saturday? Obviously, there were some jitters being out there for the first time. Uh, that wasn't the end of the game, but uh, at the end of the day, it's just what you do every day in practice, going against guys across from you, and once you get that first play out of the way, it's just normal football. I was going to say, like, how does it, in terms of just working your way through, what are some of the things that, you know, from spring camp until in you know, fall camp to now, like, what's been some of the major things that you've been trying to work on to, to improve to get to that level where now you know, you're being inserted in, in, you know, serious game time situations? I think the biggest thing for me was uh, getting strength and weight where it needed to be. And then along with those things came a lot of confidence and just continuing to work on the technique, knowing the plays, all those things give you confidence to go out and perform. I talking to strength. Uh, what's the squat? What's the bench? Uh, squat, I'm going to go for 500 next time we max out. And bench, I'm going to go for about 350. Obviously, everybody saw me lose that bet to beach in the summer. I did that haircut, but I will work on it. <laughs> I was going to say, just how is like before we talk about Iowa, in terms of that strength, like, how does your weightlifting schedule change? And, you know, this is going to be what, your second season and going through this. How is it? How is your lifting schedule during game weeks like this? Uh, they kind of adjust your or the amount of lifts you need based on how much you're getting in the game. And so we're still lifting a decent amount. Still lifting pretty heavy. They want us to get stronger during the season. And and for going through and uh, just looking at Iowa and looking at the line. 10 of the 12 sacks they have are from defensive linemen. Uh, they have A.J. Epinesa, obviously, too, who has four of those. What do you see on film from the Hawkeyes in terms of standing out? Not just the defensive line, but maybe the defense as a whole. Uh, the whole defense is a bunch of high-effort guys, and they're not going to give you anything easy, so you got to play every play to the whistle. Play hard, you can't get outworked. 
and just uh, what are some of the goals that you got going on in terms of uh, this season and trying to work and improve? You know, you talk about like what you've worked on up to this point, but what are some? Uh, do you have personal goals for yourself heading into the rest of the season? Uh, Coach Rudolph talks about it a lot, just getting a little bit better every day, 1% better every day. And so that's just been my goal. And hopefully if I do that, I can help out the team any way I can. Was there also a point for you guys where something changed, like we're, you know, redshirting you last year, but working through a thing. Is there a, was there a moment that things clicked for you that you really felt like things started to proceed where you're going to be game ready and whatnot? I think it's just more of a gradual thing. The redshirt season is pretty big for a lot of guys, especially me. I was pretty undersized when I came in. And being on the scout team, you get good reps against the best guys on the team every single day. And just doing that gets you ready for playing in the game. And folks, that was Logan Brust, redshirt freshman from Kimberly, Wisconsin, obviously the state powerhouse up in the Fox Valley area. And you saw, you know, Danny Vandenboom also was a player, we had him on uh, the pod, or we played the interview with him on the podcast just a, you know last week about his touchdown to Taj Mustafa and getting in the game there. So uh, a lot of a lot of in-state talent, obviously playing for the Badgers. But now, Jason, and we're here with Jason Galloway, Wisconsin State Journal, Madison.com, the Red Zone Podcast, and obviously follow him on Twitter at Jason underscore Galloway. We're getting to some Q&As. Let's kick it off with a fun one from someone named Zach Heilprin. Uh, can you oh, have... Oh, <laughs> uh, Of course, good friend, Zach Heilprin, WOZN, the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. I've, we've had him on the, our other podcast, the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, a couple times. I uh, always love being around Zach, and I mean that. Uh, can you have Jason explain why he has Wisconsin at number 22, but not BYU in his top 25? Two and one with both wins on the road versus Power 5 schools, including a top 10 win. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so a lot of people get onto voters and to me about, you know, not strictly going by head-to-head when ranking these teams. And it's, it's, it's a difficult balance to, uh, to difficult line to, to, to balance, I guess. You know, I mean, it, <laughs> I think when you look at this, I think you have to, so later in the season, if say this is week nine, I would just say, okay, I'm looking at the first eight games of the resume, which one's, which one's more impressive. And even then, I don't think a head-to-head win necessarily you know, dictates that you'd have to do one team over another. You kind of go spin your head in circles trying to figure out all the head-to-heads when you do that. Now, I do understand why maybe someone would have more of a problem with it this early in the season. They've only played three games. Um, but, but I think when you have this small of a sample size on these teams, I, I still think that I'm going to look at this game and think that Wisconsin is still a little bit better team than BYU. I, I think if they played on a neutral field ten times, Wisconsin would win more than five of them. So now I would not take that into account my, my my preseason thoughts about these teams. I'm not going to take that into account a few weeks from now. But I think when it's still this early in the season and you have um, a small sample size with these with these teams and these resumes, um, I don't think you want to overreact too much to a bad game. Now Wisconsin hasn't looked good through their first three games, but you look at um, it, you know he mentioned BYU's wins you know against Wisconsin and against Arizona. Arizona you know they, they beat Arizona by five points. I think Arizona had a really bad loss the week after um, yeah. you know Cal is 3-0 and but they also had a game against North Carolina where they won by seven and North Carolina I, I think is looking like they might be really bad this year so I, I just think it's it's a very small sample size now if BYU is 3-0 and and they'd beaten Cal I, I, I would have them ahead of Wisconsin um, I think that would definitely make the difference for me but it's 
I, I don't think you can look at a situation like this and say, well, just because you know they won on the road against this team, um, they should be ranked ahead. Now, I, I, I don't have a problem with BYU ranked right. ahead of Wisconsin. I, I don't think it's that far off. I have Wisconsin 22. I think BYU is probably probably one of my first few out uh, right now, or or at least at least nearing the the top 25. So. Yeah. I don't think there's a huge gap between them if I were to rank more than 25 teams. Um, but, then, again, you have to kind of just look at the whole picture. And, and I think at this point, this early in the season, I'm going to um, sort of sort of wait and see how this plays out, I guess. Gotcha. There you go, Zach. Uh, and then coming up there, someone asks, when will the Badgers bring back the red helmets? Aren't they undefeated with the red helmets? I don't think they're going to bring them back. Uh, that's my opinion. Uh, I think ever since Paul Christ has been here, I mean, UK, you're, for those that don't know too, Jason did some freelancing work for Bucky's Fifth Quarter in a while back in 2013. Uh, actually, just a few months before, I, a few months after I started at Bucky's Fifth Quarter. And that's when you saw in the Gary Anderson era, that's where the Red Helmets came out, and you saw those kind of flourish during there. But ever since Paul Christ has been there, there has not been. <laughs> the red helmets at all. I don't think it's going to happen. That's just my personal opinion. Talking to a former player uh, back when uh, Chris was an assistant, I just don't feel, just with the history with that, I don't think they're going to bring back the white helmets at all. Uh, They did, if you guys saw the tweet from Wisconsin on their Twitter, their official Twitter account, they showed off the the white helmet, uh, the white face mask, and whatnot, kind of the, the icy look that they talk about uh, with the snowflake emoji and whatnot. So I think that's what it'll be shown. I think they'll go to all whites for their road uniforms, which are really clean, clean in my opinion. Uh, but I don't see that coming at all. This isn't really my corner, but I, I feel like if Paulkers hasn't pulled out the, the red helmets yet, he, he probably won't. But I, I did see the, the white unis for Iowa, and they look really sharp. They do. They do. It's, uh, we'll have to get a fashion designer on to talk about the, <laughs> about the looks and whatnot. Uh, when it comes, number, next question, how differently do you view the defense from the first two weeks to now having some time to digest the BYU game? That's, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I, I forgot who oh, it was. No, it wasn't Brian. Uh, I'll make sure to thank that person, too. I think that's a great question on, on yeah. that note. Uh, let's start with you, Jason. I have, some, I have an opinion on it, but does it, how much, does it change it differently for you? Does, does it I mean, obviously they look solid the first two weeks. They yeah. look like maybe this is definitely a, re- a reloading type of that, of talk. And that's saying it's not right now, but, you know, it's a little bit of a rebuild when you lose so much of that defensive line, which I, you know, I've talked about on uh, ad nauseum about how the underrated, underappreciated they were. I do feel like I, I view them a little bit differently. Now, you know, coming into the season, I was, I was a little bit skeptical of how good they would be. I thought they would, they would take a step back and, you know, even though those first two games were against Western Kentucky and New Mexico, I was starting to become a little bit of a believer that they would be able to have a better season than I anticipated. Now, I, I was trying to, I was trying to, you know, hold myself back from doing that because of the quality of competition in those first two games. But I was starting to believe that this is going to be a really good defense again. And I think you look at that BYU game, and there, there were a lot of issues. You know, we went over a lot of them in the in the first segment, but. Um, I think they've got to clean a lot of stuff up. You know, something we didn't miss, mention was that they missed a lot of tackles, too. And that's yeah. something that, that is a little bit uncharacteristic of this defense. They've had some games in the past where they missed some tackles, but, but I, I think that they need to clean that up. Um, it, it, there is a chance that, that maybe this is – they simply struggled with, with BYU's offense in particular. I mean, it was a different type of offense. They do a little bit of weird stuff formationally. Um, and we mentioned the jet sweep stuff, so, I mean – 
maybe this was just a, a, an egg that they laid because because of what BYU did to them, and, and maybe they'll bounce back strong against Iowa. But I, I think for now, I, I do feel like I, I have to lower my expectations a little bit. Yeah, I, I view that I'm in the same boat, I think, as you. I, I think I, you hear T.J. Edwards after the game in the post-game audio saying, I overthought a little bit too much at times, too, or just having that, those thoughts yeah. of just, you know, you know, that type of thinking. And, and then Ryan Connolly saying just if you're not silent through gaps, like because I had asked him specifically about the Squally Canada runs and what happens off the motion. So, uh, you know, that, that tells you something. Uh, I do, do I think they have the ability to bounce back? Yes, I think the biggest thing is uh, with the linebackers that, I mean, those are the redshirt seniors, so those guys can know how to bounce back quickly off of a loss or off of a bad performance. The secondary did all right outside of the bad call from Dakota Dixon. And that's the one thing, too. Like, Dakota Dixon didn't, you know, he, had, he admitted after the game that trick play, that wide receiver option pass, it was a bad call on his part, and then he didn't see the vertical going down the field. So I think with the leadership, I think that can step up. I, the, the, sec, the cornerbacks, I thought, played all right, and I think they have throughout the first three games. So that's good. I mean, if it was younger players, I'd be a little bit more concerned, but I think it's fixable. But like I said, I think it's a notch down. Uh, I think they still got a lot of work to do, and we'll talk with Jim Letter tomorrow uh, when he's available just to see what – what he saw through his eyes for that game and looking forward to Iowa. Um, looking at the last question, it seems like the last drive, uh, and this is what Brian had asked, uh, it seems like that last drive was put on Alex Hornibrook's shoulders. Why doesn't Chris let him loose early in games? Uh, you know, a fire that you've seen in that last drive is always there. Why not use it? Uh, seems to me Wisconsin needs to start with passing and set up the run, not the other way around. I don't believe that necessarily. I still think the run game is the bread and butter, obviously, of the Wisconsin offense. Always will be, I think, with, his, with the Paul Chris type scheme. And I, I do agree in a little bit of maybe opening it up a little bit more. Uh, granted, I am not, and let me, you know, Jason and I are not offensive coordinators or offensive gurus. You may be. I, I'm, I, I, I'm not. <laughs> and so I think that's one interesting question there where – uh, you know, I think maybe they open up more in the passing game. You, you, you would hope if you're a Wisconsin fan or if you're part of the team there, I think. Uh, but the two-minute offense always works a little bit more, a little bit more up-tempo. You've seen that, like, Joel Stave, all-time winningest quarterback in Wisconsin history, <laughs> had the ability, ability to do that two-minute drill as well before halftime and at the end of the games. And I think Hornybrook is the same way. He can bounce back from mistakes as well pretty quickly, uh, which is an attribute I think that's very underappreciated by many that follow and cheer for Wisconsin. But uh, if they let it loose, I mean, let's say he throws an interception, then what, what are people going to say? Playing devil's advocate. Oh, he threw another interception. Where's Jack Cohn? Where's this? Uh, yeah. Stuff like that. I, I don't that's why if you say, oh, let's air it open, you got to play both sides. And I'm all for when you see that, like a, a more jet sweeps. I thought they could have ran a little bit more to the outside uh, watching a little bit of the game. But I don't know if, you know, letting it loose in terms of that, that could go both ways. If he throws a bad interception at Iowa, uh, you know, then you're going to have the Boo Birds come out and people attacking Hornybrook again. Not that it matters to him, but... <laughs> it's a. I would like your take on that. I mean, I, th I still yeah. think it's like bread and butter Wisconsin uh, you know, run game, but it could always change. Yeah. Well, obviously the the last drive was on his shoulders because the time was running down. Yeah. They had to pass the ball, and I thought he did play well in the last drive. He made a lot of Absolutely. a lot of great plays. Uh, Dual threat quarterback, Alex Tony Brook. <laughs> yeah. But 
yeah, I, I was, I've been asked this a lot recently, actually, this, some version of this question. And, you know, I, I think when you, I think it's easy to, in hindsight, say they should have done something different when it doesn't work. But I think when, it, for fans that want them to come out and, and pass the ball from the start and throw on first down all the time and, and let, the, let the pass set up the run, like, he, like uh, Brian says here, is, I mean, you know, when Horny, if Horny, what if Alex Hornybrook, like you said, what if he goes 15 of 40? What if you throw the ball 40 times? He's 15 of 40 with three interceptions, and then, and, and people are going to be like, you have a Heisman Trophy candidate at running back, all that talent on the offensive line. Like, what are you doing? Why are you throwing the ball 40 times? So, I mean, if if it doesn't work out, people are always going to question what you do. But Wisconsin has won a lot of games um, with this style of offense, absolutely, and, and they've 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 had a lot of success running the ball first to set up the pass and set up their play action game. That's Paul Chris' offense. I mean, that's just what it is. I mean, he's not going to completely change his offense uh, because he has uh, because the offense has a bad game or they've had a bad start uh, to to the season in these first few games. So, uh, I'm sure you know some fans want to see them air the ball out. And look, I, I you know I think they could open it up a little bit more, like you said. You yeah. know, I think you know against New Mexico, for example, they passed the ball only 11 times. Now that was because the running game was working so well. Right. Um, but you know. They, they could stand to open it up a little bit more, but I, you, you don't want them to change what they do completely. I don't think you you necessarily want to put the entire game in Alex Hornibrook's hands from the start. You know, I think you want that running game to get going. Absolutely, yeah. Once it gets going and you wear down the opponents, that's going to be the big game, big thing going in Saturday. Uh, who's running game and who, who like you mentioned before, who wins in, in the quote unquote trenches? Uh, between the offensive lines and the defensive lines, respectively. So uh, we're, we're going to wrap up the show. Game predictions. Jason, what is your game prediction? 7.30 p.m. Central Time on Fox, national audience, Kinnick, Kinnick Stadium. I'm excited to, to wave to the, to the children in the, hosp- in the children's hospital. Like, I'm, I'm personally excited. I'm, I'm geeked for that. I think it's such a cool moment. This is your first trip to Iowa? First year in Iowa, nice. Iowa and it's going to be a lot of you – know, I know it's – uh, different environments, so that's going to be uh, fun. Mark that off on of my Big Ten stadiums list uh, for me that I've traveled there. But how do you think Wisconsin will fare Saturday night? I'm going to go with Wisconsin 21, Iowa 20. Ooh! So Wisconsin remains winless against the spread, but 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 bounces back with the with, with the victory on the field. And um, I think it's going to be a really good game. And I I kind of said you know I kind of said last week that. I was going to pick Wisconsin in this game regardless of what happened against BYU, and I definitely didn't expect them to lose to BYU, so that got me second-guessing myself. But I do think they're still the better team, and they're the more talented team than Iowa, and, and I think they're going to be able to, to go in there and pull off a win. It's not going to be easy. You know, I, I haven't been to a night game at Kinnick yet, so I'll see how different that atmosphere is. Um, but I think they're going to be able to, to find a way to pull this off and, and get a leg up in the, in the Big Ten West race. Right, Wisconsin does leave the all-time series like 46-43 and one. one. Yeah, I think that's right. So I'm going to choose Wisconsin too. I think this team bounces back. I think there's some metal there with this team. This is this is going to be the make it or break it for the team. This is going to be this is the I don't want to say the season, but it kind of is, right? If they lose to Iowa, they have a two game. They have to Iowa will have to lose two games, and Wisconsin will have to win out for the tiebreaker, right? If I'm not mistaken, right along those lines. Yeah, I mean, if, if, yeah. if Wisconsin loses this game, you know, they've, they, I mean, they, they need Iowa to lose an extra, more, one more game than they do because yeah. they will have the tiebreaker, yeah. Right, so it's a two-game slide there. But then on top of that, uh, any talk about college football playoff, they have to win out. There's no more margin of error, oh, in my yeah. opinion. 
They, they have to win out. They have to go beat Michigan at Michigan. They have to go to Penn State, beat Penn State, which is, I mean, you've seen Appala what Appalachian State did, but you also saw what Pitt has done the past two weeks, granted against maybe not as great competition, even though they did beat rival Pitt 51-6. to But I think they come in there. I think there's a sense of urgency with this team. They want to keep it. It's another rivalry game. I'll go 2017. I think Gaglianoni redeems himself at the end, uh, atones for his, uh, the missed field goal from last week. Drills at home. They take home the Heartland Trophy, Wisconsin 20 to 17. Jason, before I let you go, where can we, how can I promote your, your work? You're on Wisconsin State Journal, obviously, Madison.com, the Red Zone podcast, which is on iTunes. Uh, where can people find you? Well, I need to say this first. I think there are actually two ties in the series. I told you oh, one, so okay, two, just, just to two. set the record straight. But, oh, nice. yeah, you can, you can read my stuff on Madison.com. Uh, the Red Zone podcast is on iTunes and Google Play and Madison.com as well. So make sure you guys check that out as well. Awesome. And, uh, guys, make sure for here on the podcast, uh, for, the, for you know, follow Jason at Jason underscore Galloway on Twitter. Follow Bucky's Fifth Quarter at B5Q. Me at Jake Coco, K-O-C-O, B5Q. And our Instagram page, we got tons of photos up from Matt Fleming about from the past couple of games uh, and also some sights and sounds around Madison and the campus area and then also this podcast follow us uh, you know, not, not just follow uh, listen on iTunes on Google Play tune in on the tune in app when you subscribe to iTunes or Google Play don't worry it doesn't cost you anything just like Jason's it's all free for you guys subscribe to both those podcasts uh, that you know that way and uh, yeah, no, we're just really excited for you guys. Give yourselves a round of applause. You guys here at Beer Rock, 2911 North Sherman Avenue, here in Madison. For those that love the Madison Mallards like I do, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump, almost literally. So uh, on that note, I am Jay Kokorowski again. Thanks again, Jason, for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's fun. And, and uh, we'll try, you know what? I'll be road tripping at like 2 a.m. back from Iowa City. You may get a very late night podcast with me. I'll try to get John Veldheis to do that uh, as he's driving. So uh, <laughs> we also have a student driver. He may pay for everything. Uh, just, be careful. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're going to try. Uh, but for everyone uh, here at Beer Rock, for Jason, for Jake, for me, Jake, thanks for listening to Bucky's Fifth Quarter. You guys have a great week. We'll catch you guys uh, coming up this weekend here on Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Mm-hmm.